Well, good morning. I would like to go ahead and introduce myself in case you don't know who I am. <laughs> I want to thank Jason and David Adams. I want to thank both Rob and Wynn and Howard. You guys did an excellent job of bringing God's word to God's people week after week. So can we give them thanks for that time? I mean, you did so well, I, don't, I think the church may ask me to leave more often. And so that's all right. You know, I'll go from here and there. But actually, this is the main thing that I see that the Lord has been doing, is that he's opened up time and place to not only hone your skills as preachers, but he also has opened up other voices. And so they, during that time, he gave Wynn a voice to this church, and I give thanks for that that you heard God's word, because that's one of the things that's amazing about God's word. And I want us as a church to hold on to that really, really tight, is that the personality, that's part of preaching. But the biggest part of preaching is God's word. And when you hear good messages, it's not just because the person there has given a good message. It's because his spirit has worked a wonder in us. I mean, every time I preach and someone says, that was a good sermon, normally I think, oh, they just think it was shorter, and so they liked it better. Actually, I think, yeah, well, God's Spirit does a big thing. Because when I talk to Sarah about preaching, you may not know this. I've said it to a few of you. Some of you know this. This is the least favorite thing I do as a pastor. Like, I have to get myself geared up to say, okay, it's preaching time again. So that's why I like vacation. So <laughs> we're in this all together. It's an important thing that we see that we're developing preachers because as we develop preachers, we can execute the task of, of planning churches. We can execute the task of disciple making. And that, to me, is a bigger joy than anything else. There's a couple of highlights as I was gone. Frank Hart you probably heard this if you are here last week, but he was ordained. Let's give thanks to God. So he is Oikos' first pastor that we've got to see begin, study, and then get ordained. Now, he's not done with the study. This is the, the, um, the little thing about SMP or specific ministry pastor program that the seminary operates is that after two years of study they get ordained and then they have to complete two more years if they don't complete the other two years they rip that ordination away <laughs> just like that so he has two more years so keep your prayers on him make sure that he knows I mean this is a hard time right because he's already received kind of what we'd say is a big prize of completing that study now he has two more years yet to complete to be certified. And so I want to make sure that we keep him in prayers. And also New Church. New Church should charter, which means they'll become their own separate congregation outside of Oikos within a year. They're doing really, really well. They had over 250 people at his ordination on Sunday. Let's give thanks to God for that. It's a good day, right? It's a good day. Howard Thomas, guess what? He is wrapping up a lot of his paperwork for his colloquy. Colloquy is a, 
a word that most of you don't use every day in your language, but this means that he has his educational requirements to be a pastor, but our church body hasn't recognized him for ordination. Once he completes that, does a couple of interviews, does some things that we'll see how it goes. The Lord will speak in this and we'll know what his pathway is for ordination. And so be praying about that because within a year we should be planting Oikos, um, we already did that, Oikos Third Ward. And I'm excited about another part of the city receiving a house of peace where people can come weekly and worship him. It's a good thing. Rob and Carrie Donaldson. Some of you, hey, Rob and Carrie, why don't you stand up? You love that? Go ahead and stand up just so that everyone knows who you are. I told them that they're going to be part of it. I didn't tell everybody else. So they are praying and planning about starting an MC in the Heights. So another MC, which means what for our language translates another opportunity for a family of faith to come together. And I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. And so I want to encourage us that as we go away, as Sarah and I and the kids go away, God continues to work. He moves forward whether any one of us are here or not. But he continues to move forward. And I'm excited about those saints. Um, we really want to thank you. Our family wants to thank you. This is a good place. It's been good for our family, and I thank you that you give us time to spend as a family to get away, not from you, but to get away from our daily grind so that we can reflect and think about what's the Lord saying to us for this next part of the year? Where is he inviting us to go deeper? Where is he inviting us where we've been ignoring him? And it gives Sarah and I, because we go on car trips, so we went out to California and all the way back. We had a lot of time in the car. And I'll tell you, some of you may think it's just a spiritual time that we're just singing praise songs <laughs> and offering words of encouragement. A lot of it is, stop it! <laughs> you guys are driving me crazy! But we're family. And I thought about that, just a reflection of us as a church. May we enjoy our time together enough that we'll do it repeatedly. Even when we want to say, stop it. Would you just shut up? I just used the S word, didn't I? Would you shut up? It doesn't ever come out like that, though. Yesterday, I got an email message from a guy who said, he's in the military. He got my email from a friend, and he really needs my help. He said he has $25 million. He wants me to receive it and take care of it for him for a time being until he returns. He said, this is not a scam. <laughs> right, so naturally I said, well, absolutely, it's a scam. And I deleted that email. You guys have probably received some of those in the past. This morning, we're going to start out with a question. I want you guys to consider this question, and then you're going to make a decision on whether you're going to friend, you know, on Facebook, how you friend, or not friend. 
the first person you get to decide on. You get a message from a guy that you've never heard of, but he promises to give you a billion dollars. Hold that one. If you just friend him. Or the other guy who says he's been in jail several times. He can't guarantee that he won't go back into jail, but he wants to do some good. You know a little bit more about him because he's been in the news. He has stolen from people, but he gives the money away to those in need. Okay, so take a moment. Who would you say, I'll friend you? And who would you say, oh, I'm not going to friend? And then share that with somebody and tell them why. Okay, so there's this guy. He had a lot of money. And I mean, he had a lot of money. In fact, he had so much money that he could actually give everyone, and there's about 2 billion people on Facebook, he could give each one of those people a billion dollars. So what he did is that he set up a, he had never been on Facebook, and so he set up a Facebook account, and he was going to, everyone who friended him, he was going to give them a billion dollars, no strings attached. He wanted to give it away. He felt like this was the thing he should do. He was committed. He wanted them to be his friends. And so he's going to offer them a billion dollars. Now, he started, and immediately countless people were like, that's a scam. Not going to friend him. And he couldn't understand because he's offering this huge thing, and yet so many people said, no, I don't want it. And so he decided that he would continue to offer, and he looked through all accounts of Facebook, and he sent out a friend request to everyone. So everyone got this request. The news started to do stories on it. They're talking, they brought in the top mathematicians, and they said there's no possible way he can give a billion dollars to every person if they friended him because there's not enough money in the world for that. And one person certainly doesn't have access to that. He is a fraud. A few did friend him, but then when they started to hear the news reports, they decided, uh-uh, and they, they decided not to follow so he wouldn't know. They just kind of took him off their stream, and they kind of looked at a distance at this guy. At the same time, there was another guy 
And he had cheated and stolen from people. But he would often do it for their benefit, not for the ones, for those who needed it. He would give it away to those who were poor, kind of like a Robin Hood, right? People knew who he was. He had been incarcerated before. But people were kind of excited about this guy because they liked his story. His story was so interesting. And so he decided, too, he had never been on Facebook. He decided he would see who would friend him. And he started sending out friend requests. People would see his name and they go, oh, oh, he's got a kind of cool name. And I like his story. He does some bad things. But with the bad stuff, he does good stuff. Maybe I'll friend him. He started getting a lot of friend, you know, acceptance. And he was like, yes. He was so encouraged by that. He started to outpace the guy who was promising a billion dollars very quickly. Even though he wasn't really offering them anything. Other than the promise that his mode was steal from those who have and I'll give to those who don't. So those who felt like they didn't really have much jumped on board right away. The guy who was promising a billion dollars by the end of a period of time was left almost utterly friendless. So the guy with everything to give was rejected. The guy who promised nothing was accepted. This morning we're going to hear a story that's going to correlate to the one I just told you. Jesus was taken to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked the religious leaders, what's this man guilty of? They said, he says he's a king. He should die because he's a rebel against Caesar. We would execute him, but we're not allowed to do that. Therefore, we've brought him to you. Pilate turned to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I am. Pilate then found out that Jesus was from Galilee, which was under Herod's rule. Herod happened to be in Jerusalem, so Pilate sent Jesus to him. Herod was glad because he wanted to see some miracles, but Jesus wouldn't even talk to him. Finally, Herod and his guards mocked Jesus and put kingly robes on him and sent him back to Pilate. The Jewish leaders accused Jesus of many crimes, but he stood there and didn't defend himself. Pilate said, don't you hear what they're saying? What's your defense? Still, Jesus said nothing. Pilate finally concluded there was no proof that Jesus was guilty of any crime worthy of death. He then thought of a way he could set the man free. Every Passover, he released a prisoner to the people. He thought he could simply beat Jesus and then release him. Pilate was about to present this to the people when his wife sent him a message. I've had nightmares about the man you have on trial. Don't do anything to him. He's innocent. Pilate stood before the people. Which one shall I release to you? Jesus called Messiah or Barabbas, a thief and a murderer. The religious leaders knew that Pilate might do this, so they had prepared the people. Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Pilate was shocked. 
What should I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Crucify him. Pilate turned away because he didn't want to kill an innocent man. Finally, the Jewish leaders threatened him. If you release this man, we'll tell Caesar you helped a man who was in rebellion against the empire. Pilate went back to reason with the people. Do you want me to crucify your king? They shouted louder and louder. Crucify him! Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar. Pilate realized the people were on the verge of a riot. He finally gave in to their wishes and called for a basin of water. He washed his hands in front of them and said, You're witness that I'm innocent. This man's blood isn't on my hands. They shouted, Let his blood be upon us and our children. With that, Pilate had Jesus whipped and then handed him over to the guards to be crucified. So Jesus stood before the people that day offering way more than a billion dollars. Joy, hope, peace, love, eternal life. And he was completely rejected. Barabbas, he was a zealot. What he was promising was a revolution. A revolution that would actually end in a lot more death than life. And yet the people shouted out, Barabbas. Scripture doesn't even record that one person said, Jesus. When Pilate says, are you sure you want to hand Jesus over to me and you take Barabbas and I then crucify Jesus, they said, yes. Hands down. Not even Peter stood up and said, no. Not even Mary. The mother of Jesus stood up and said, no. At least we're, it's not recorded that they did. I found that significant when I was reading through the story this last time. All these people who friended Jesus in a moment's notice defriended and walked away. Early, earlier in the message, I placed you in a scenario. Who would you friend? Now, some of you may have said the first one. Some of you may have said the second one. We're not here to judge. I would have said neither. How many of you said neither? How many of you said the first one? How many of you said the second one? Yeah. Honestly, so if I get into this and I don't put on my theological religious hat, right? If I just got these requests, I would have been compelled. He probably will fire me after this, but then you won't hear me preach again. So I would have been compelled to say, I kind of like the second guy. Good story. He has that bad part about him, but it's a good part too. Kind of interesting. The first guy, I don't believe. Ooh. And when I was working through these stories, I thought, well, that is the problem, isn't it? That was the problem that day. That's why no one said, Jesus, free Jesus, because no one believed. 
no one believed what he was offering. No one wanted to take what he was offering. They completely rejected him. I, if I was in that crowd, I would have rejected Jesus. I want to say I wonder, but who am I kidding? I would have been swept up in the crowd as well. I would have forgotten all the things that I had been told before, and I wouldn't have spoken up. I probably would have been silent, or I might have even been worse, excited that Barabbas had been freed. Verse 17 in Matthew chapter 27 says, As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Messiah? That should have like spurred some memory of what Jesus had been talking about. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus? Again, he reminds them who is called the Messiah. They shouted back, crucify him. I think we can step into the crowd pretty easily because we know we're weak. We know we get distracted. We know that we can easily forget how much Jesus has done for us. We know we can classify Jesus into a story. We can, in a sense, treat him like a fraud. It's an easy delete email. And not take what he's offering because we don't believe it. Many would cry out that day. But none would say the name Jesus. The crowd did that because they forgot to. Even that word Messiah, which I think is pretty profound, that Pilate, not a believer, was the one that was reminding them who Jesus was. They had forgotten the crowd, and they more than likely... At least 80% of the crowd that day knew that Jesus, just a few days prior, had risen Lazarus, his friend, from the dead. That was part of what had caused this whole commotion and part of the fear that was invoked in the Roman authority. He was uncontrollable, this Jesus. And what he was doing was uncontrollable. The weird thing in the story is that they all believed in a sense and in a moment they didn't. 
I feel like we can step in those shoes pretty easily. Because when we're faced with distractions, when we're faced with life, all of a sudden the words of Jesus, we don't know who we are. Or we don't know what we are doing. But it's not what we've heard from Jesus because it's gone. Rejection is hard. And if I step out of the crowd and I try to, and this is a big try, step into the shoes of Jesus that day, I think about how hard it would have been to stand there. And yes, he knew his role. But how hard would it have been to stand there and look into the eyes of a friend and say, aren't you going to say my name? Are you, Pilate just said, who are you going to free? Jim, aren't you going to acknowledge you know me? I mean, this is real stuff. He was human and God at the same time. He looked at these people and he lived life with these people and he said, don't you know me? And they did the classic what we all do, right? It's when I go, hey, do you want to say a word today? And you go, <laughs> is he looking at me? Or when you say, hey, who wants to pray today? And you, you look down, I'm already in the position, I can't pray. That's a, hard, that's a rejection that few of us will experience. Few of us will stand before a crowd and have them shout out, crucify him. Friends, enemies, family. Few of us will experience that, and yet that's what he's calling us into because he asks us to follow him. He knows what it is like to be abandoned and rejected. And I think some of you know what that looks like too. Some of you may feel rejected right now. And that can be in a multitude of ways. You can feel rejected at work. You could feel rejected in your family. You could feel rejected by your spouse. You could feel rejected by your children. You can feel rejected by the one who you love but does not love you. You can feel rejected by the school that you want but does not want you. The career that you want but, this is honesty, right? You don't have the talent for Rejection can be pretty easy for us to step into. You can be on the side of, I want to believe in Jesus, but I think he's too good to be true. And you become the one who's rejecting because you've rejected yourself. You said, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth 
him. How could Jesus accept and love me if I'm currently rejecting him? That's kind of where we all are at, right? We just did the confession. Because it's good to confess our sins. And in the moment that you're confessing, you, you more than likely probably sinned. You can be kind of like on the Pharisee side where you're confessing your sins and you go, but at least I'm not like that person that I'm sitting next to. They don't know I just said that, but that's what I'm thinking. Or you may be saying the confession and going, but I don't know if he really is going to forgive me. Which is a sin because you don't believe in what Jesus just said. Because it went like that. Or that Jesus doesn't really love me unless I become like this. So I just have to go without his love until my life gets right. And then he'll love me. Some of you say this in conversations with me and you don't even realize you've said it. That, well, God's plan and love for me will be executed when I get everything right. We've got some perfectionists out there, right? If it's not totally in order, then somewhere God is saying, I'm withholding love from you. Fix it. And in that, you're rejected because you've rejected yourself from his love. You've chosen a rejection that's not even real. Maybe you're stuck in addiction right now. Boy, that's a demon. Because you're constantly rejecting God's love and you're choosing something else. And freedom seems impossible. And many people who I talk to have been in addiction, get into this dark place where once I'm freed from the addiction, then God will love me. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not how Jesus operates. That's not what we believe. I told someone once that, you know, the thing is, Jesus, he loves us and he cares for us. But his priority for a drug abuser is not that they no longer abuse drugs. His priority for that drug abuser is that they know and love him. And if they're a drug abuser and know and love him, and they still abuse drugs, we want to say, oh, you awful person. Don't you know that Jesus loves you? You should give that up. Yeah, they should. But Jesus' priority is, but they love me. And my love supersedes our actions. That's what we believe. We believe that by no account can I do anything for my salvation. 
Pilate responded, then what should I do with this Jesus who's called the Messiah? And they shouted about, crucify him. Pilate has the audacity to say, why? What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. But the Greek literally says, may his blood be on us and our children. What the crowd intends to be a curse, God shifts into a blessing that they're not even aware of. What we intend for bad many times, God will shift because he is power, more powerful than our worst work, our worst cause, he is more powerful than our best work and our best cause. Because his plan is a little bit bigger than ours. He makes what the crowd intended to be a curse into acceptance instead of rejection. Because it's in and through the blood of Jesus that we are accepted into his family. Romans, or Paul writes in the book of Romans in chapter 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while, while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Jesus' acceptance is more powerful than our rejection. See, the cool thing about Jesus is I keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting in fact, I was having a conversation with Anthony back there. He was talking to me just before we started worship about wanting to grow and go deeper and do more things. Let his whole life be following Jesus. And as I reflected on preaching this morning, I thought, what is it that the Lord wants me to do as I continue? Because I don't want to just be known as I'll give myself this title, a good pastor. 
I want to be one that's known as someone who actually spurred on to go deeper with Jesus every day. And the thing about Jesus is that the more we know about him, the more we live with him, the more we walk with him, the more we start to see how we reject him. Like I was praying for some people that I hadn't prayed for. So I'm going to, here's, you ready? Because you think I'm doing this, but I wasn't. I was saying, oh, I need to pray for Frank because he has a message today. Guess what? The world isn't just about me. <laughs> I'm going to pray for Frank Hart that he has a good message out at New Church. And then I had a thing of like, oh, gosh, how can I even call myself a good pastor? When I forget that Frank Hart is preaching today too. Because again, God is inviting me into something. And at the end of the day, even though I want to receive praise from the people, at the end of the day, may his praise be enough. In a few moments, we're going to be invited to his table, to the table of Christ. And in that table, he is accepting you. He's looking at you and he's calling you friends. He's asking you to believe that what we talk about here, being his body and his blood, that that's real. It's not a billion dollars, but it's a lot more than that. But many times when we approach the things of Jesus, we see it as, hmm, he says it's powerful, but I don't know. So this morning, may your heart be turned to the words of Jesus who say that there's life if you eat of me. That there's life when you're with me. That there's life at this table. Second Peter says, you're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. Once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for loving and accepting us, even in the midst of our rejection. Thank you for extending friendship, even when we are in the middle of spitting in your face. Thank you for forgiving us and allowing us each day to see the new day that you created filled with your grace and your peace and your hope. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family, that you call us friends, and that you have marked a seat at your table. Lord, without you, we are left with just rejection. And oftentimes, we even reject ourselves. Renew and restore 
these rejected hearts so that they can be renewed and they can experience your love so that they may love. Lord, I pray that we would have enough of your love to love others, that we would acknowledge that your power is enough, that we would acknowledge that you accepting us is enough. So give us confidence to follow you in your works as we pray for others, as we pray for our friends, but even more as we pray for our enemies. Lord, we pray that we could walk in your ways in loving and inviting those that we know and those that we don't know into our homes, into our lives, and give them friendship as well. Lord, may we experience you in new ways and allow us to see it and believe it and then live it and help us to pray the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.